Hi, and welcome to Connected Conversations for Creatives, a place for creatives like you to learn, grow, and connect. On this journey we call life, we often find ourselves at different crossroads along the way, faced with choices that shape our futures. It's at these crossroads where we may question whether we've lived too much or perhaps not enough just to be able to chase our dreams. We're haunted by doubts that whisper, is it too late or am I too young? And the journey might not be easy, but it's in those challenges that we find the true essence of who we are and that we're capable of achieving anything we set our minds to. From the vast horizons of the sea to the weaving of intricate threads and words, the story of today's guest reminds us the pursuit of our dreams knows no boundaries. In a world fixated on age and societal expectations, he chose to rewrite his narrative embarking on a creative journey later in life. He embraced the blue-collar poet label bestowed on him by his classmates because of his years in the Navy and later working as an electrician on oil tankers, naval vessels, and fishing boats before he returned to college at the age of 37. His voyage wasn't without challenges, but the beauty of his many successes lies in his audacity to dare, to dream, and to disrupt the confines of time. If you, my friends, are wrestling with doubts about the timing of your dreams or whether your past has left you too weathered or too inexperienced, I encourage you to listen to the words of the experienced. Hear the call to cast aside those shackles and step into the realm of possibility for dreams are not bound by age or lived experiences. They're fueled by passion, resilience, and the courage to believe that what you want is within reach, regardless of where you are on life's continuum. So please welcome to today's show, writer, teacher, father, and award-winning poet, Bill Cushing. Well, thanks so much, Jennifer. And I, I have to start right away by saying, I think I'm going to have to hire you as my publicist for my <laughs> next book. Uh, that was a great <laughs> Thanks so and, much. I, absolutely. I am so excited and just thrilled to death that you are here. Well, and, and I find it interesting that you, you talk about the, you know, the idea of crossroads and things like that. Of course, mine is is my decision to go to school, and, and why I say I I I just finished a memoir about that journey. Uh, it's now in revision. I I don't expect it'll be out for some time, but it actually comes out of a, I I host a writing group here or well online now, uh, and one of the women in the group went, "Well, how does a guy go from being an electrician in the Navy to being a college English professor?" And I was like, "Well." Kind of a weird story, but here you go. And that kind of led to this book, which like I say I, I finally finished, but needs some major work. But uh, I have to confess that, that my impetus was very basic. It was I wanted to keep living and um, working as I did. I realized after some, and I loved the work. I, I that's one of the things I always said. I I loved. When I got in the Navy and I became an electrician, I absolutely loved the work. Of course, I came from a background. My dad was an electrical engineer. I'd worked in his shop several years. Uh, you know, I was always fairly good with my hands. Uh, but uh, when I got into it, I always loved the work. I, I was like, to me, it was like I was a kid working on a full-scale model. Uh, but um, I had two incidents that, made me realize that, you know, this is a dangerous job and eventually something bad's going to happen. And the longer you wait for it to happen, the worse it's probably going to be. So it seemed like that I hit one part and I said, you know, it's a good idea maybe to look at something else now. And I had had a friend and she was always 
saying, you got to go back to school. You, you got to, you know, you love talking about books and history and movies and music and all this stuff. You got to teach. I was like, yeah, but I'm happy where I am. I like the work. And then why I say these two events occurred, I said, well, maybe she's got a point. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but that led to me going back to school and and i actually had not thought of writing to begin with even though i always enjoyed it i loved reading i kept journals um initially i was going to go major in history and hopefully teach um because i'd always enjoyed history and and i i've always found it and, and one of the interesting things there is and i even told my students now i say you know, anybody who, who is bored by history classes, it's not the subject matter, it's probably the teacher. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, because I was always lucky. I think I only had one bad history teacher in my whole life. And that was like my senior year in high school. And by that time, I'd figured out enough, well, it's him. It's not the topic. I just mm -hmm. need to get through this class and I'm done with it. And, but every history teacher I've had has been, you know, first rate to me. Plus, growing up, I was a, you know, I was a member of the Cold War Navy and growing up in that time, you know, during the Cold War, the height of it, I, I recall not vividly, but of course I do have memories of the Cuban Missile Crisis and those things. So I was looking at Russian history as a, as a major. And, but I got into school and then one of the first English instructors I had kind of wrote me into the writing. I mean, he liked what I was producing in his class and he talked me into, hey, why don't you come work for me on the school newspaper? Um, and I was like, yeah, but what do I know about that? He says, well, there's scholarships. I said, well, I do know I like money and I'm mercenary, <laughs> so uh, that sounds good. And then he eventually wrote me into, by the time I got out of there, I was the editor of the literary magazine, the, the newspaper. I was working on festivals and things like that. So just suddenly got into the writing. Uh, the poetry is a whole different thing, and I'll dovetail off that, because yeah. here again, if you had told me when I was 30, 30 even 35, that you were going to be writing poetry, I would say, no, you're nuts. That's not going to happen. Well, I went to a journalism conference for the school paper, and there was a, a seminar on how to improve your writing. And I go... And the woman giving the seminar says, it's real simple, write poetry. And she goes into this, and it wasn't a very long talk, actually. She just basically said, look, poets are, by nature, looking for economy and, and looking to pack as much imagery into every word that they can. So if you can write even bad poetry, it's going to make whatever else you write better. I was like, that's, I'd never thought of that. And before that weekend was out, I had my first notes for a poem, and I basically that sort of took off from there. I was like, this is great stuff. I'm really enjoying it. So, Wow. I have, I have very little real experience writing what would be considered poetry. Like, I tried my hand at it, especially when I was younger, and, and it's really funny. Like, it was trash. Like, it was, <laughs> it was like the younger, like, don't ask me to to read it to you it will never happen it will never see the light of day again um but the current book that uh is is working towards publication the main female character is an author and with that oh. she writes a lot of poetry oh, okay. and there were there were points at which i thought 
okay, I'm going to incorporate some old classic poems and that kind of thing, just, just because like as, as chapter transitions and that kind of thing. And I started thinking about it and I was like, no, I want it to be as authentic as possible. And so I, I tried my hand at it um, and gave it, gave it a shot. And, and I'm actually, I was actually pretty good. I felt like it was pretty good, but it requires so much in, in my experience, introspection almost mm -hmm. like you really have to to look inside before you can start writing outside. And I was like, I don't know if this will become part of my regular repertoire, but it yeah. was kind of an interesting experience. Yeah, and even though I, I you know, I'm I've now returned to a, a, a an earlier memoir I'd written originally and had put away because I just it, it dealt with um before my marriage. Now I was married to a woman who died of cancer, and I. Mm written about that and i'm returning to that book now and hoping to get that out um but uh yeah i'm sort of leaning into prose now um although i'm st but still writing the poetry quite regularly mm -hmm. I'm, i belong to a group we meet once a week although i'm not regular but whenever i feel i have something that i'd like to workshop i i join in and I get feedback from these people um but yeah, I really, I enjoyed the the discipline of it. And one of the things I've been doing lately, well, when I say lately, this is maybe over the last five or six years, is trying to do some of the formal styles, uh, you know, sonnets, odes, madrigals. I've really gotten hooked into some of the Japanese uh, mm. structures, uh, but uh, and the uh, and the uh, what is it the decima the ovao these are some Spanish styles of, of writing, and I've been having fun with that because it's like okay, I've sort of proven I can do the freestyle stuff. Let me see what happens when I put you know pull the, pull in on the reins a little bit and say okay you've got to do this to to make the thing work and it, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's. <sighs> poetry to me like I don't understand it I you know I don't have a background in it so I never really truly studied it and and to try to remember like high school where they went through all the different kinds of poetry mm, that's <laughs> probably over my head so what what distinguishes poetry like for you or just in general I don't know come at it from the teacher perspective oh, and tell us like what <laughs> yeah go for it make it happen <laughs> because that's once I got involved in it and once again i you know, I'm coming out of a, a very restricted background myself, and I, and even when I when I teach writing now, and generally like freshman comp and things like that, uh, I tell my students, look, you, I'm I'm assuming most of you you just want to learn the craft, and I'm really big on definition. I say define everything. You know, if you don't know what you're talking about, what's the point of talking about it? And that was. Once I got roped into it, I, I just started looking around, how would you define poetry? And it's it's a, a very elusive thing. And I was reading all these people and, you know, I, I got to meet, uh, I mean, I got to meet Philip Levine, Carolyn Forche, Gwendolyn Brooks. I mean, some very big name poets. And they all gave me some pretty good working definitions, I thought. Uh, I love Levine's, uh, his definition of of. Uh, inspiration was where you get so zoned into the work that it becomes effortless mm. but he says inspiration is not something that comes from outside it's just you yourself like you say you know bringing the inside out uh but i have to say the best definition of poetry i ever heard was a 
guy I happened to meet, uh, it was on a cross-country train ride. I was going from uh, Vermont back down to Florida. And I met this guy who was from coming out of Canada. And just by chance, we discovered we both had an interest in, in reading and writing poetry. So we started talking. And uh, I said, well, how would you define it? He says, to me, poetry is the history of the human soul. I was like, you know, that's got to be the best definition I've ever heard. Mm. Especially when you look literally, poetry started as history. Uh, you know, if you look at the epic poems of the Greeks and, and this sort of thing, that, that poetry was the record of events, but also blends in with uh, John Gardner, the, the American novelist, always said that the job of the writer is not to necessarily break new ground, but to find new ways to convey what he called immutable truths mm. for his own generation. So, yeah, and I said, yeah, that, that's a good explanation of it because what is my what do my poems reflect is my own individual interpretation of whatever it is, a moment, an image, uh, you know, an emotion, whatever the thing happens to be, but I can only do it from my point of view, which of course is affected by what? Well, the fact that I'm a male white who was born in such and such a year and grew up in such and such a place and you know, that, that I, I'm, I'm a big believer in we're more products of environment than genetics. So there you go. Uh, so, yeah, when I look at the, the poems, I think, yeah, this is my way of conveying to the reader. All right. This is how I saw it. Let me present it to you. And then, you know, how do you see it? You know, uh, mm. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting art form in that it's always changing only because each generation goes through different things. I mean, that you know. is that is a very interesting perspective on it. And and in some of the pre-show conversation that we had and, and just the information, like you really, you strongly believe that all writers should be involved in, in writing poetry in some form or fashion. Like, is that the discipline of it or is it the yeah, introspection or? Well, I say it's that idea of like I'm doing now where I'm trying these new, more formalized forms. And it's funny because sometimes they don't stay that way. I, I, I My writing group a couple of weeks ago, I brought one in and it was in a certain form. And, and one of the guys there said, you know what? He says, I think you should break the form. You, you've got what you want down now. Now make it something else. And you know, I think you can do more with us. Yeah, it's okay. And, and that's happened too before. Uh, where I've had, well, it's funny because I had, I had one poem. I, I lived for three years in Puerto Rico and uh, I had visited this person I knew up in the mountains there. And he lived in this, I swear it was like, well, I always loved the story of uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez went to Puerto Rico one time. And of course he's known for his magic realism and these very otherworldly places. <laughs> And when somebody asked him later, well, what was it like? He says, if I wrote about it, people would believe I was making it up. <laughs> it's a very strange place. And the way this guy lived, I was like, this is such a cool setting. And I kept trying to write it as a poem. And it just wasn't working. Well, finally, I was working on a short story. And I thought, well, actually, the character in the story kind of fits in with Bobby's, you know, the guy I knew, the, the, his personality. So I transported all that into the opening scene of the story. And I was like, God, it's working great. So yeah, you never know where the poem's going to lead. But like that initial lecture I heard was, 
look, you're only going to make everything else you write better. If you try and discipline yourself, you know, squeezing as much as you can out of every single word you use, it's going to make your own writing much more efficient and, and much better. So, And I can see how that kind of process would also help an author who who writes fiction novels or whatever to to connect with the reader like to engage more deeply with the mm. reader which is when i read that's what i want i want to be engaged to the point where i'm not having to um interpret things but at the same time i want it to touch me somewhere so if mm -hmm. if you're writing poetry and it is definitely coming from the deepest essence of your soul i could see how practicing that regularly would also make you a better writer yeah. of fiction yeah, it's funny because one of my favorite writers of the English language is Anthony Burgess. Uh, and of course, everybody knows him for Clockwork Orange, but he's, he's I mean, the guy, I don't know how many novels he wrote, but um, he actually studied music. And he always said that's where he draws a lot of his ideas and inspiration for his fiction. And you can see it. I mean, uh, and, and he does write, in fact, the it's funny during the lockdown i was able to get to a lot of books i'd had sitting on shelves and you know not gotten to it and one of them was he wrote a book on moses which is entirely in verse and it, it was so wonderfully written i mean i was like god this is so good uh but uh he also wrote um what was the one oh and he this is this was a fun one. He wrote a book called Napoleon Symphony, which is a fictionalized account of Napoleon. But he sections the book into four different parts, and he tries to fashion the writing in each section to correlate with the music of Beethoven's Third, which was his Napoleonic Symphony. And so he, he gets into some really interesting writing there. And you look at, I mean, if you've read uh, Joyce, uh, you know, people like this, I mean, you know, they weren't known as poets, but, you know, they've written in a very poetic manner, I think. Yeah. And okay. So thinking about, you know, his inspiration being music, I, I draw a lot of my inspiration. Music is, is huge for me. I'm a musician and um, oh. music is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. Um, music is something that has always just, I mean, if we're not breaking into song around here, then something's wrong kind of thing. Um, so music is huge. And that's where I draw a lot of inspiration from. What about you? Where, where does your inspiration, like what's your biggest source of inspiration? I think it's just, people watching you know just seeing mm. what's right because i write a lot a lot of my poems especially are about people and you know obviously the people i've known come into play but even people i haven't i mean one of my favorites is is a uh, about a guy i never met but i dated his granddaughter and she told me stories about him i was like this guy sounds so cool and, and then i she had a clipping from he had done a local newspaper interview and i read i said this this is so I, I ended up writing this poem it's called clarence which was his actual name and it's about this retired farmer in iowa who becomes a carpenter and there you go you know you talk about doing something later in life uh, this guy certainly did that you know uh, but uh but yeah, I've written several things where I didn't know the person, but just watching how they acted and trying to suppose, which of course is what most writers do. You try and get in the head of whatever character you're dealing with. 
Oh yes. People, people are one of my favorite things to watch. We would literally, my husband and I, but when we first got married broke as a joke, but we would go to the mall and sit on the bench <laughs> across from the escalator and watch people and just yeah. kind of make up their stories as we sat yeah, yeah. there and watch them. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that, that I do. Yeah. I, I do that quite a bit, I think. Uh, yeah. And like, well, in my last book, I, I just came out with a book of poems the beginning of this year and one of the poems and, and it, it was amazing how rapidly it came to me because I, as a writer one of the things i'm really big on is rewriting i i just you know i always loved what a friend of mine said when i got involved in the poetry this guy said one time he says writers are never satisfied they just give up uh, <laughs> you've looked at the thing so many times you go all right i can't deal with it anymore it's going as it is and just but uh, I was, I, and you talk about music, I work with a musician locally here when he's in town. He bounces between here and New York. But, you know, whenever he's in town, we try and uh, set up gigs for the two of us to go perform. But we grew up across the street from each other. And I had not seen this guy. I went in the Navy in 70. That was the last time I saw it. And then in 19... No, God, what am I saying? No, it was only, wasn't that long ago. It was 2016, 2016. I learned he was in LA and I had a reading and I invited him out. And, you know, I, I said, yeah, you know, I, said, you know, I just wrote him. I said, is this the same Chuck I grew up across the street from? And he goes, oh yeah, you know, I'm out here. And I said, well, come on, you know, I'm doing a reading for this book I'm in. And, and uh, he came out. Well, afterwards we sat down and just got caught up with each other. And at one point, he said to me, he says, what would you think of the idea of teaming up? And, you know, I'm now a musician. That's what I majored in. And, you know, I'll play music and you can read your poems. And I just told him, I said, Chuck, there's one thing you never do is you never ask a poet, do you want to read your stuff? Because the answer is always going to be yes. So bear in mind, you started this. It's all your fault. But, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we've been working together now. He's coming back into town. We're doing a thing in November. We're going to be at a uh, literary festival doing a semi-performance, semi-presentation. Uh, we did one a few months ago. So, yeah, whenever he can make it in here, you know, we arrange it. But he's, well, I say he, he plays professionally, so he's always bouncing between L.A. and New York now. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But but yeah, you talk about the music. I mean, that's something that I can't play. I wish I could. I, you know, I I kick myself for not learning when I was younger. Uh, but I love, uh, you know, especially jazz mm. uh, is, is sort of my big thing. And I write a lot. I've written a lot. In fact, I have a book called Music Speaks, which is a collection of poems about music, uh, primarily jazz. There's some classical and rock in there, but it's mostly Miles Davis, you know, uh, Nina Simone, uh, you know, people like that. Uh, one about, uh, I don't know if you know, Yubi Blake, who was, uh, I got to see him. And that's sort of what the poem is about is I go to a show with Yubi Blake and Alberta Hunter and I'm looking at these two and I'm thinking, man, there's like 150 years of experience on this stage, just in these two people. <laughs> so, Oh my gosh. I love, like, I love jazz. Um, yeah. <laughs> my, my kid loves jazz. It's one of oh, those things great. that we just kind of passed down because, and, and 
you know, I, I started my, my very first instrument. We tried the piano. That was not for me. Um, I didn't have the patience for it, but I grabbed a clarinet and I, because I wanted to be Benny Goodman, like I wanted to be Jenny Goodman. Oh, if you will, like I was like, he was my idol. I loved, I loved all things jazz. And uh, oh. so I just kind of moved instrument to instrument after that, but um, <laughs> that that's still my favorite. And um, one of the, one of my favorite gifts was my husband came home from a yard sale with a record player and a stack of like jazz. Oh, records. Oh. oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> it's the best day ever. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of, speaking of that, to kind of veer off a bit, but uh, Charles Lloyd did a recording. I think it's called Desert Flower. Um, it's an old 1960s recording, a little live show. I think he did it in the village somewhere. But he's trying to make, he's got an, uh, I, uh, I guess it's a, a tenor sax. But he tries to make it sound like a clarinet, <laughs> and and he almost gets there. I mean, it's so fun. He never quite hits it, but it's like this is amazing. I mean, this guy. <laughs> and and there you go too. I think that's you know part of the writing is being daring, is you know trying stuff that takes you out of your zone. Uh, yes, yes. I'm not even gonna lie. My favorite book review that I've ever gotten was one of the readers said. Um, I went into this thinking one thing, but mm. then she broke all of the rules <laughs> and I was actually kind of glad to see it. And I was like, I didn't that's... realize that I had broken rules. I just wrote because it's what I had inside and that's yeah. what I wanted to come out. And she was yeah. like, she broke all the rules. And I was like, I am a rule breaker by nature. It is what it is. So, <laughs> Which by the way, leads me to one of, one of the things I always tell people who are just starting writing or, you know, or in writing, I say, always remember when somebody sees something that you didn't put there, don't say I wasn't thinking of that. Just say I'm glad you saw that. <laughs> I I like that. <laughs> well, it's kind of like uh, one of my standard answer, of course, when you walk into our place. You know, there's bookshelves all over the place, and people go, "Have you read all these books?" I I just say some of them twice. <laughs> Didn't say I read them all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that's so accurate I have so many books just on a list and in my Kindle and here and there and it's like yeah. it's because I love them I haven't met them yet but I love yeah, them yeah. <laughs> one day I'm convinced it's what's going to keep me immortal I'm just not going to run out of books to read that's right I can't go anywhere yet I haven't read yeah. all my books <laughs> that's so funny um so let's talk about some of your achievements and the recognition that you've gotten I know that you know, sometimes it's awkward to talk about yourself like this, yeah. but you were named one of the top 10 poets in LA back in 2017. That's amazing. That was a real honor. I, I was like, I was so stoked when that happened. And I got to meet, and it was funny because I moved here in 96, really didn't get involved until the, because all right, my wife and I had our son in 2001. Now I was I was active then, but I was sending out mostly to small mags and stuff like that. Not really that tapped into the local market so much, although I did get meet a couple of people. Uh, in fact, it was funny because one of the first people I have to laugh at this this is really neat. Um, my wife was from here, and I was living in Puerto Rico. We sort of did a long distance thing for a while. But what happened was she would fly out there for a vacation. I'd fly up here. Well, the first time I'm flying out here was for Thanksgiving weekend. 
and I brought some poems of my own to work on on the flight. And I'm sitting there, you know, in the in the plane, scratching some notes. And this woman sitting next to me, she's like, do you write poetry? And I said, oh, yeah, this is mine. And we started, she goes, oh, I write poetry too. And so we started talking about that. And she goes, well, where are you going? I said, well, I'm, I'm meeting this woman I'm involved with, and, and she lives in Glendale. And she goes, I live in Glendale. <laughs> It turns out now she lives, I don't know, two and a half blocks from us. Um, but she was like my first connection into the L.A. poetry market, I guess. So she was a nice connection. But let's say what happened was our son was born in 01, very disabled, a lot of problems. Uh, and so I sort of put everything on hold for the first, well, till around 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. So the first 10, 12 years of his life, a lot of therapies, just very busy with him. And mm -hmm. I said, okay, you know, just put everything on hold for the moment. And then I started getting active again. And that's when when Spectrum Publishing is the, is the name of the, the group. Uh, when they were taken, uh, and I don't even recall if, it, if I knew what the topic was. They were just saying, send us 10 of your best. And I said, okay, let me try it out. And that's when I found out, oh, you know, I, I got in the book and, you know, uh, actually met some people that I now know, you know, on a personal, more personal level, having been tapped into it a bit. But that, that was really nice. Um, I think probably the one, and this is kind of funny because uh, the one recognition that I really got off on was, and that was, that would have been 2016 as well. Um, I, I mentioned that I'd written a poem about Miles Davis. I, I wrote this poem right after he, you know, when I learned of his death, basically I went into my, I was at the university at the time and I went into my bedroom that weekend and locked myself in my room with all my Miles Davis recordings and a bottle of whiskey and just started drinking and taking notes and, which I always say attests to the inspiration of either Miles Davis or whiskey. I don't know which one was the bigger. <laughs> it doesn't guy. matter, does it? <laughs> but I'd written this poem, and I could never get it placed. I was like, I don't you know. I liked it. I was very happy with it. I, I kept looking. Is, is there something I should? Well, then in twenty six or twenty well twenty fifteen, the call went out. There's a publisher out of Colorado was doing, and it was called Stories of Music, and they were saying, I said. You know, we're looking for that. And I said, you know what? Let me try the Miles piece with this, but I'm going to try something different. Well, what happened was in the original, there was an ending line that had a profanity. So not knowing your audience, I won't say what it was, but at any rate, it was there. But I thought it fit and it worked. And all that. I said, well, this looks like the kind of book that will probably go out maybe to schools. So, so let me change the line. She took it. <laughs> I was like, and ever since then, I also got nominated for a push card on it. I was nominated for a best of it. So that poem, ever since I changed that one word. <laughs> That's amazing. Has gotten me some really good mileage. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is that one word can make a huge difference. It, apparently it can. Because, <laughs> you know, and I just, it was just, oh, well, this looks like the... But the real charge was not just the fact that I got accepted, but that finally the poem got placed. And this is here again. I, I apparently hadn't paid that close attention to the, the call. 
I got paid 200 bucks for it. I was like, <laughs> and I, it was funny. I immediately called my old English teacher because he and I have become the, the guy who got me started. We've become very good friends. We were actually fairly good friends while I was a student. Uh, which I, I will say one bad idea about that, though, was one time I I, I took like five classes with a guy and, and it turns out he was from Boston. I'm from New York. We were about the same age because I was you know older going back and we both lived in Baltimore the same year, had been to the same places. So we hit it off very well. But one time I gave him a paper and then we went out that weekend and we're, you know, we're just out at a bar or something. And he goes, oh, by the way, I'm giving your paper back. I want you to rewrite it. I said, well, why is that? He says, you didn't spend more than 10 minutes on that thing. I was like, oh, damn, you know me too well. <laughs> yeah, he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> he said, there's no reason I should spend more time grading it than you did writing it. So <laughs> I was okay. Oh, yeah. But set that rate, expectation I, way too high. Yeah. <laughs> But I called him when the when the poem got accepted and I found out I was getting paid. He goes, man, that's, he says, I've never been paid that much. So the most I ever got was 50 bucks. So it's like, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and it's funny now, I, I actually have to confess, I, I've become much more comfortable in that format of, of the poetry. And now I'm not sending out as often as I do. I'm now saying, you know what? I'm going to send where I get a paycheck. I think I've paid my dues enough, you know, that I think my work should get compensated now. So, except for a few places, like I say, there's a couple of people who published me early on that, you know, were like Spectrum. He doesn't pay, but it's like, okay, but, you know, I'll send to him because he helped me get started, uh, that kind of thing. But, uh, and obviously I have some friends once again, branching out into the market a little bit. Like there's a guy, well, he just moved to Maryland, but he was in Georgia for years. But he does editing for uh, small mags. And he'll write me and say, hey, send me some stuff for the upcoming issue. Like, okay, sure. Okay, so uh, you have people calling and asking for your work, but I know that hasn't always been the case because we all have to start somewhere. So oh, yeah, yeah. For, for those who are you know listening and wondering, you know, I want my work out there. Where do I go from here? How would you suggest they start? Where would you say they send you know, it first? I almost hate to try and give that advice. I them. know. <laughs> well, not so much. I think the market has changed so much. Mm, that's true. I mean, you got to remember when I was starting, there was no real internet. I mean, there was in the abstract, but not in reality. Uh, you know, it was because I, I went through a lot of small presses, uh, that kind of thing. I would say the best thing to do to really start is, and especially in the poetry market, is go to readings, go to open mics and see what kind of feedback you get. And people, so I had, well, it was funny because when I was teaching in Puerto Rico, I had one English class and I, I, taught a poetry workshop one day a week for it. And I had a young girl, oh, young, yeah, she was a senior, but uh, she uh, she wrote this poem and I told her, and I said, you've got to send this out somewhere because this is real. I said, it needs a little revision, but the bones here are really good. And I think that really helps is, is going to more open places, uh, writing you know uh, uh writers groups i'm a big believer in those uh, i'm involved in two i've got the one i facilitate and the other one i'm a member of uh because even those people will say hey you know here's a place you can send this 
that, that your stuff may fit in. Uh, because a lot of times, and I guess the big thing is, look, and I, I worked retail sales for a while. And, and one of the things I found that's interesting, every retail salesman who's good is convinced he'll close every sale. In reality, and I, I can't remember where I read this, but I read something that said that in retail sales, the best ones close maybe 15% of the time. But you got to go in with that attitude. Yeah, I'm going to close this time. And I think that's the thing when you're submitting you're going to get rejected. You might as well learn to live with that. I, I, in fact, the analogy I loved was there was a woman I knew in Jacksonville that said the, the job of an artist, any artist, whether it's writing, painting, music, whatever, you got two jobs. You got to be sense enough to find the material worth recording, but you got to be tough enough to take rejection and criticism. <laughs> so be ready. Yes. So that's good advice. But I always say, look, you never know. You might send something out and the editor's just, he had an argument with his kid that he's upset. You know, you never know what's going to, you know, I I keep, I would say one of the things I do that, and I do it on paper, I, I just refuse to do this on the computer, but I keep written records basically on file cards of everything I send out and where it's mm -hmm. been sent. And once it's rejected, I just kind of, draw one line through it but enough so that i can see okay i've already sent it to this person i'll try something different uh but uh and also look at the rejection letters because when you get a letter that says look we liked what happened here that makes it evident they read the piece but they just didn't take it then they're interested in getting your work again you know when you get the standard letter you know thank you and go away all right fine i, I won't bother again or maybe i will if i think i can fit in but you know when i got a rejection that says you know it's just this one piece you know we liked what you did here and here but it just wasn't fitting with our editorial flow this time that to me is an invite you're saying okay you're welcoming my work again and i will keep you in mind uh, but yeah i think now of course Anybody writing now, I would say Submittable is a great website. Uh, there's a Facebook page called Submitting Your Art, Poetry, Prose Art. And there's a couple of people, I wish I could remember their names now, and I can't remember. There's, there's two women who run a blog post monthly where they list, they basically laundry list contents, contests, and calls coming up. And it'll give you a thumbnail sketch of yeah, you know, it'll tell you that I really love the way they do it. And, and you know, it'll say right away for Canadian writers only. OK, so I know I don't have to look at that one. You know, they'll tell you any disqualifiers right up front. Uh, you know, this guy is looking for gothic horror. This one's looking for romance. So you don't have to waste your time going through every call. Uh, and I also I keep an account with Duotrope. I don't know if you're familiar with that website. You do have to pay for it but it's very versatile in terms of winnowing down. But I really think Submittable is a great site because uh, you can kind of close in on certain categories pretty easily. Uh, and uh, it, it is free. You just have to register and get an account. Uh, do a trope last thing. You do have to pay for them, but you know, I, I don't mind it. I figure I right, 50 bucks a year. I'll take the chance. Uh, but uh, but yeah, there's a couple of websites that are very good sources for that.
now. And, and I, I would say go to those. But I say, if you go to Facebook, you got a Facebook account, you just type in submit. I guarantee you'll get about 10 <laughs> sites that are, and you just winnow down. All right, this one looks good. That one looks good. Uh, so. Yeah. Are there any like red flags that you would say, hey, maybe stay away from these kinds of places? Um, not really. I think you got to make up your own mind on that. Um, like I say, I now avoid like the plague. Unless they're going to pay very well, I'm not going to get a, a, an entry fee or unless it's a contest. And I think yeah. maybe I got a good chance. But there's so many things. Now, one of the contests that I'm involved that are you know, every year, this guy charges, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's a guy north of here. Uh, he lives in Newhall, and he's called the Poetry Superhighway. And he runs a contest, and it's just gearing up now. It ends in October. And I usually, I usually enter a bunch of stuff. He charges a dollar a poem. So for every poem you send, you pay a dollar. But the way he does it on the prize money is he keeps none of the money himself. The whole pot is then divided among the top three place winners. Uh -huh. So the first place gets the bulk of it. But the other thing he does, and I, I do this every year with him too, is, is you can be a sponsor for the contest. And anybody who enters will get at least one prize. And it's usually in the form of somebody, you know, a free book. Or uh, I had one, and this is kind of funny, one year I won a workshop session with a uh, a local poet, and she ended up becoming a very good contact for me because she worked with, uh, as we were talking, she worked with veterans of PTSD using writing as a therapy thing. And, and as we talked, she found out, well, I'm a veteran. I'd written about this stuff. So she got me to do a workshop with her one time. Uh, she invited me to, you know, whenever there were military style readings, like for Memorial Day or Veterans Day, she would say, hey, you want to come show up? You know, and I think those platforms are great for getting your name out there, uh, if nothing else. Uh, hell, the first time Chuck and I played, we, we did an open mic. And one of the women there came up afterwards. She says, "Look, I sponsor a thing every month, you know, up in this museum. I'd love to have you guys come be the feature." I was like, "Oh, great! You know, just doing that one or two bits out of the open mic got us that gig." Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's a good sort of source too, is because of the open mic. Look, if if you're going to try and get published, you're probably going to have to read at some point. You must get used to that. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah like there's a said, lot of good sources now. But let us say, when I was starting out, geez, I mean, actually, it's funny because my first really published piece was something that I didn't even know was out there. And, and I still, the only thing I can figure is that I, I was at the university and I got a phone call from a publisher in Oregon. And he said, look, we've got this piece you wrote about. Uh, there's a poet named William Everson who was, very interesting character from the 60s and 50s uh, and really kind of the anti-beat. And that's what always interested me with it. He had been in a monastery. Uh, he was, a, you know, Brother Antonius, I think was his, his monastery, monastic name. And his stuff was deeply rooted in not just religion, but nature. And I, I found his stuff very interesting. And I said, well, we got this thing you wrote about his one book we, we'd like to use. And I said, 
I said, you realize that's an undergraduate paper, right? <laughs> and he goes, hey, we don't care. It works well, because you know, they were putting together a collection of work about this particular writer. I said, absolutely. You know, and they sent me a copy and I was very pleased with that. But I was like, I didn't send this on. <laughs> the only thing I could figure is that the instructor I wrote it for must have sent it in my name. And, and uh, uh, which was kind of weird. You think, well, you'd think you'd at least let me know. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but I'm not going to argue. You know, I was like, oh, look at this. I got a, you know, I got a piece published. I wasn't even looking for it. Um, and that's the other thing on submissions, too. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, because normally in, in poetry, especially they're calling for anywhere from three to seven pieces. And five is pretty much the norm. And a lot of times, I'll, well, I'll send this piece. Then ah, I got one more slot. To, ah, let me throw this one in there. I'm not real happy with it. But, and then sometimes, yeah, that's the one that gets taken. <laughs> <laughs> you just never know. I mean, you miss all the shots you don't take. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's that's what it boils down to, really. Yeah. Oh, I have I have really enjoyed hearing like the the constant thing that I keep hearing is you know you take the chances and yeah. you create a network like you have you have such this network that has just put itself in place um, and you've embraced those relationships and I think that's a huge part of being a creative that you have to have you know your writing groups and your mentors and your teachers that you've bonded with yeah. and that kind of thing like I love to hear that because you know creativity yes it, it comes from one person sometimes yeah, but yeah. good gracious it doesn't have to be a lone ranger journey and yeah and i think you got to find the, the the groups you're comfortable with like mm -hmm. I, like my approach for me i want the feedback i don't need help in the writing i'll i'll do the writing what i need help in is the revision and the feedback on it so yeah a lot of times i go to these groups oh well we'll we'll talk for a few minutes and then we'll do a writing no that's not what i'm looking for i don't need that it's interesting by the same token, I'm not one of those people, and not to say that it hasn't happened on occasion, but I don't feel comfortable trying to write on the spot, mm -hmm. you know, unless the prompt is very well directed, but mm -hmm. oh, write a poem. What? You know, you don't just produce that out of thin air. I got to have material there to work with. Yeah. And now, if I got material, yeah, that that's going to help. Uh you know, uh, like the ekphrastic stuff, I, I like doing that once in a while. But once again, the artwork has to strike me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I don't get a vibe off it right away, it's like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna force anything. Uh, so, yeah, the the creation part, that's that's a, to me that's solitary. But but mm -hmm. the getting it out there, that's communal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, what is the one piece of advice or encouragement that you want listeners to walk away hearing if they hear nothing else, what do you want them to hear? Well, in terms of writing or in terms of overall, whatever you think they uh, need to hear. I guess overall, I mean, I'll use this as an example. Uh, you know, but I, I would say the overall advice is, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, when I was teaching, here again in the high schools. And by this time, I'm 43, 44, or something like that. And I remember one of those seniors, a girl I had in one of my classes, she's talking and she's, I feel so useless. I said, well, what's wrong? She says, well, I don't know what I want to major in. I said, 
I got news for you. I didn't go to school till I was almost 40 and I changed my major three times. So if I couldn't, if I couldn't figure out life at 40, don't, you know, put that expectation on yourself at 17 or 18. That's just go do what you like doing, see what you fall into. And if you don't like it and that, that also, I think, is one of the things I find now, even as because I still I continue teaching, even though officially I'm retired, but I'll teach a class once in a while. One of the things I found is the younger students have to do it now. Whereas the older students, if I tell an older student, look, I think you're not ready for this, maybe lay back, take a preliminary class, and they're usually willing to look at it. No, I got to have this. It's like, you got plenty of time. Don't worry. <laughs> if if teacher tells you maybe you're not ready for it, it's not coming from a place of evil. It's it's saying I'm looking at what you're doing, and you know I think you'd be better served, you know, dropping back a little bit, you know. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's interesting because I uh, I heard a very good analogy about this in sports. Was somebody was talking about Carl Lewis, uh, you know, being such a great runner, and. But they said, if you looked at Carl Lewis, he always started slow. You, you watch him halfway through the race, he starts catching up. And then by the end of the race, he's ahead. Well, he said his secret was, I only run at 85%. I don't start full bore right off the bat because you burn yourself out. If I just keep an 80, 85% tempo going, it's going to help me. And that was a guy doing 100, you know, 100 meters. So, you know. <laughs> And, and life is a hell of a lot longer than 100 meters. So. Isn't that the truth? Yes. And and that is, I think we live in such a fast paced world anyway. Mm -hmm. Like everything is, you know, instantaneous. I blame the microwave. Like that's where we started. No, not really. But, you know, everything yeah. would just be. Although in, in defense now. of the microwave, I, I will say, I think it's the greatest invention of my generation. Uh, yes. Because <laughs> if you ever saw what a frozen dinner like was like before 1970s. Oh, my God. <laughs> No, I am not arguing. Bless. I don't I don't think it's a bad invention at all, but I think it yeah. definitely changed. There was a mindset that came with it that, you know, hey, we need to be able to do things fast. Yeah, instantaneous. Move things forward. Yeah. And now it's all in the palm of our hand and it's yeah. so fast. And, and we yeah, see... and it's too bad. Yeah. Well, I'm a big baseball fan. I, I love baseball. And and I kind of understand what the, you know, I don't know if you know the new rules changes are going mm -hmm. on, but I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday because He's he's in Atlanta, so of course the Braves are doing great. And I had to call him after they beat up on the Mets like they did this. Past <laughs> uh, yeah, I said you should be ashamed of yourself. I had to call every Mets fan I know and you know invite <laughs> condolences. But uh, yeah, we were talking about that. I said, yeah, I said they're changing the game to try and attract more people. But the problem is they're trying to attract people who probably aren't going to be there anyway. And all you're doing is upsetting people like us who prefer the game the way it was. Yes, it's slow paced. Yes, it takes time. But it's not, football's a whole different thing. Hockey's a whole different sport. I love them both, but they're different sports. And, and you know, what I love about baseball is that sort of long-term strategy you're dealing with, not the instantaneous. Uh, yes. Yeah, it, I, I, I think that's exactly you have a real point there, though. I mean, this idea that, you know, I got to have everything within three or five minutes or I've lost the audience. Oh, well, that's too bad. I mean, in that case, I'm going to risk losing some people. But although my work is generally not that long, but, you know, if you're not willing to invest some time 
and I really say it started earlier than that. I I, mm. I always loved, uh, I think it was the 1980s when the movie 2010 came out. And that was, you know, off of the 2001. I remember I was taking a film class at the time and my film teacher said, yeah, 2010 is the instruction manual for people who didn't get 2001. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's something like now, you look at Oppenheimer's out now, it's three hours. People, oh, God, I got to sit through a three-hour movie. I said, yeah, but if it's done well, that doesn't matter. And, you know, you'll sit on your phone. Well, I won't. Five hours is a I, long time. But you scroll for five hours easily during the day. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> and here again, it's that instant dopamine hit, which yeah. is interesting, too. I, I always love that because I have to say I have a cell phone, but really it's only because of my son. You know, right. it's, it's if there's a medical emergency, I need to be able to get contacted and this sort of thing. Otherwise, I really hate them. I, I, mm -hmm. I call them electronic leashes. Uh, mm. And I always say, I read somewhere they said, you know, well, people, when they, when the cell phone goes off, their first reaction is, oh, good, I got to find out what, that's the point. I, it's a good thing they didn't ask me because my first reaction is, oh, what do you want now? <laughs> seriously <laughs> it's like and i think i've had the cell phone now for several years i mean uh you know once pagers went out i had to go with the cell phone okay fine i got the cell phone of all the calls i've ever gotten i would say maybe three a year are that important that i needed to take them <laughs> Yes. And now it's, it's the single ding, you know, it's a ding and it's a text message. And usually it's like from yeah. one of the subscription services I have saying, Hey, are you still interested in, you know, it's not even personal anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> well, yeah. Now the, the, the robo calls are invading the cell phone. It's like, Oh, great. I can't get away from you guys. No matter what I do. Oh my gosh. Well, what else do you want to talk about? We've run the gamut. Well, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, of course, always willing to talk about my books, but uh, well, yeah. Tell us, tell us what's up next. How we can connect with you and your work. Yeah, tell yeah. us about that. Well, the most recent one I just came out with is it's actually a collection of short stories. Um, very short. You know, it's only like I don't know how many stories, maybe eight to twelve in there. Uh, but the the title of it comes from one of the stories, which many of the stories, of course, are really my own but just fictionalized but it's called the commies come to waterton uh and here again it's about the vietnam protests and stuff like that uh so that one but like i say i'm really happy with this last poetry book and in fact i'm working with the same publisher now on a, on a new book which will be creative nonfiction stories of my own uh the only hang up right now is I have two pieces I want to include, but one of them has already been taken by an anthology and they say, look, please don't publish it in your own book until we come out with ours. I said, okay, fine. You know, I'll honor that. So that may get pushed back till the end of the year. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, the one I just came out with and here, I'll hold it up. It's, I don't know how well you can see it, but yeah. it's called just a little cage of bone. Uh, and it's essentially, well, I'm an old man. I'm looking back at life. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I've been really pleased with that. Uh, that that's a guy out of Arizona uh, does this. And I, I really love the way he works. And I, and I love the way he puts them out and that stuff. Uh, 
but yeah, let's say I've got what four poetry books out. I now have the short story collection, working on the nonfiction, have the uh, the memoir, the personal memoir out. Like I say, that's in the hands of a couple of editors now to go through it. Because I told these guys, I said, look, take a machete to this thing. Uh, I ended up writing, well, it's a memoir, which is typically, what, 70 to 85,000 words. Uh, I have 155,000 words on that thing. Uh, which, and, and. Anybody who watches this may guess. As a, I have a standard joke, is you know that you know how they're always saying we have ways of making you talk. With me, it's getting me to shut up is the problem. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I say, I've got the books of poetry out. Uh, I really enjoyed the one I did. One called "This Just In," and it's um, the subtitle is a poetic journal of news stories, fake and otherwise. Uh, and it's essentially dovetailing off my previous work in journal, you know, working on newspapers and that sort of thing. Uh, that one also does have illustrations with it, which was fun. Uh, Did you do them? No, it was actually here again. These are these calls for ekphrastic poems based on artwork. And I was really pleased with them. And I said, you know, I, I want to put them. And this, now here you want to talk about a luxury. When I was sending this one out, I had a couple of publishers that were interested in it, but they said, but we don't want to do the artwork. I said, well, no, I'm sorry. That's that's an integral part of this work to me. And I said, isn't this interesting? For once, the writer is refusing publishers. That rarely <laughs> ever happens. Um, Did you feel powerful? I would have felt very powerful. It was great. It was fun. <laughs> uh, and then the, one of them was willing to go with the pictures that they wanted to do in black and white. And I was like, no. And then I found this these guys actually out of India, Cyberwit is the name of the company. I'm really happy with the results. But like I say, I kind of fashioned it after a newspaper where I grouped the poems, kind of like, all right, the first section is always news, then there's the editorials, and you know, sports is at the end, and entertainment. And I kind of did that very loosely. Uh, so that was fun to do. Uh, but yeah, this last one that's just a little cage of bone, I'm, I'm very happy with it. And such a deal at nine bucks, I think, because what the guy is charging for. So it's also the cheapest book I have out. So. Nice. And where can we find it? Um, actually, if anybody wants, well, Amazon, if you just go under my name, Bill Cushing, as a writer, it should they should show up. Uh, but also feel free to post my email. And if anybody would like signed copies, we'll work out a deal, uh, depending on where they live, you know, to cover the postage and stuff. I'm not looking to make money on that, but. I also don't want to lose money on it. Right. <laughs> Very good. Well, all of that, and I'll make sure all of that is in the show notes yeah. so that, you know, after or during listening, you can go click on that and be like, this is what I want. Yeah, um, yeah no, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. And thanks yeah. for hanging out and having this oh, conversation. No um, for- I know that, oh yeah, I know that anybody listening, they they will walk away with something Um, and I, I know it's going to be a game changer for whoever hears it because, you know, the voice of experience, the voice of wisdom, the voice that comes with age and just living life, um, for, we, we don't need to tune that out. I know that we get distracted by those little devices, those little leashes that we carry around with us, but to actually hear the voice of experience and to take its advice, I think we could learn a lot. And of course, experiences, I, I've always defined it as it's what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. Uh, mm. 
<laughs> we could unpack that one for a while. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, the, the having taken this trip and, and gone down this road, I, I I feel more organized. I feel more comfortable in my own skin. You know, when I first started, I was just shotgunning stuff all over the place. It wasn't until later I learned, yeah, you got to kind of look at some of the past publications, look at what else they've done, you know, make sure you fit them. Otherwise, and that's the thing, is if you don't fit that publication, you're just wasting their time, and it's very unlikely they're going to hear from you again. <laughs> yes, but that doesn't mean that you have nowhere to go. That's just yeah, not oh, no, the right no. spot oh, for the you. The market is so wide open now. <laughs> By the way, that also this new book on the nonfiction one I'm working on, of the short nonfiction pieces, the title is called Time Well Spent. Uh, mm. And it's all stories starting from my infancy up to, well, the, the most recent one would probably be with my son, some events with my son. Because when you're dealing with disabilities, mm. there's a lot of sad stories, but there's some really funny ones, too. And <laughs> the thing where he sort of went against everybody's expectations one time and just blew everybody's oh. mind. And I'm sure I am certain that there have been plenty of moments where you thought this was time well spent. No, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Bill, yeah. thank you again. All right. I look, I just look forward to following you and seeing what's up next for you on your journey. It's, I, I have no doubts it will be a wild ride. Well, hopefully. <laughs> well, thank you. I hope you have a lovely evening. Oh, thanks much, and uh, I will catch up with you before too long. I hope.